Today is the ante-penultimate day of fiscal year 2022, and we're counting down the hours to when the metaphorical ball will drop in Richmond, marking the beginning of fiscal year 2023. Are you prepared? Feel free to review previous installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement to revisit the hundreds of stories written in the past 12 fiscal months. Or head on over to Information Charlottesville to see where I've been able to cover at least. The I here is Sean Tubbs, and thanks for reading. On today's program, Charlottesville City Council gets the details on a water infrastructure project in advance of a vote today by the Ravana Water and Sewer Authority. Many people had an opinion about whether the name of the regional library system should change, but it's up to elected officials to decide on whether that should happen. How much trash was processed in Virginia last year? The Department of Environmental Quality has a new report. And about 200 people attended an open house on the forthcoming update of the city's zoning code last night at the Ting Pavilion. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, algorithms know how to put songs and artists together based on genre or beats per minute, but only people can make connections that engage your mind and warm your heart. The music on WTJU 91.1 FM is chosen by dozens and dozens of volunteer hosts, music lovers like you who live right here in the Charlottesville area. Listener donations keep WTJU alive and thriving. In this era of algorithm-driven everything, go against the grain. Tune in and support Freeform Community Radio on WTJU. Consider a donation at wtju.net slash donate. When the Charlottesville Plans Together initiative began in early 2020, there were plans to engage people at a series of meetings while the work of crafting an affordable housing and comprehensive plan update was conducted. However, the pandemic forced all of that public engagement work to go online. Council adopted the affordable housing plan in March of 2021 and the comprehensive plan last November. Both call for additional residential density across the city, and an update of the zoning code is the next step. This time around, people can meet in large numbers, and an open house was held yesterday at the Ting Pavilion, where attendees could get a look at the new Diagnostics and Approach Report for the zoning rewrite. People could go through the entire process to date and ask questions of consultants, city staff, and each other. I dropped by briefly and spoke with James Fries, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services, since last September. Here's that conversation. What are you hoping to get out of this process at this level? So at this point, uh, we've just released the report about two weeks ago, and we're, what we're really looking for is um, where can we answer clarifying questions? Where can we answer questions about what we've already shared and what's in there, and what other ideas should we be considering? Our effort here with the zoning ordinance is to implement the adopted comprehensive plan and affordable housing plan. Um, we're open to ideas, and we want to hear people's thoughts and concerns. Um, but we know there's a lot in this report, so the big deal is where can we help people understand what we've written and what we're what we're talking about. So this is the first time two years ago this process kicked off. You weren't here, but we couldn't have done this. And mm -hmm. of course now at this third stage we're able to do this. What if what do you think will be different about this? Oh, I think it already is huge that we're look I mean if you look around 
people are having conversations. This is what we have. You can't do this on a Zoom environment. So it's really exciting to be back in person, talking to people face to face, um, introducing ourselves, having a conversation. And even if we don't agree, because we've met and talked face to face, we're able to walk away um, in a much more civil environment. What is the next step again, exactly? So. Um, we're going to be continuing to um, collect comments and questions over the next couple months. Um, I'm going to be visiting various neighborhood groups, organizations, uh, anyone who would like me to come and speak, and um, uh, continue to collect comments all the way through August. Um, then we're going to finalize this report, take it to the Planning Commission and the City Council at the end of September, and get their go-ahead to move forward with drafting the actual zoning ordinance document itself. Will there be another event like this one? When we, yeah, when we have the draft document, yeah, we're going to do this all again, and we'll do um, a lot of the same. And this whole event, for people who can't make it here today, all of the boards, everything you see here is going to be up online tomorrow. All the same opportunities to ask questions and make comments um, will be up online tomorrow. Why isn't there a band? Uh, and if there was a band, what would the song be? <laughs> Now you stumped me. Now you got me. Come on, it's <laughs> Jefferson Starship. We built this city. There you go. Stay tuned for more from Charlottesville Community Engagement. More than 22.7 million tons of solid waste were sent to processing facilities in Virginia last year, with nearly 5.4 million tons coming from out of state. That's according to the annual Solid Waste Report for 2021, released yesterday by the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality. The total amount of solid waste received increased by 1%, or 225,524 tons compared to 2020. However, the amount that came from other jurisdictions dropped by 5.25%. About 44% of out-of-state trash came from Maryland, 18.7% came from New York State, and 14% came from Washington, D.C. Around 11.8% of the waste was incinerated, and 73% went into landfills. Another 8.25% was recycled. All but one of Virginia's 204 permitted solid waste facilities submitted reports. Locally, the landfill operated by Louisa County buried 23.1 tons of solid waste and has 10.2 years left of capacity. Two transfer stations are included in the reporting, and they are the Ivy Materials Utilization Center in Albemarle County, as well as the Nelson County Transfer Station. The Board of Trustees of the Jefferson Madison Regional Library met yesterday at the Northside Library on Rio Road for the usual things, such as a five-year plan and a budget, but the main item throughout the meeting was whether the system's name should be changed. Here's Thomas Unsworth, the chair of the JMRL board. I don't expect that we will have a vote on the issue of the library's name change today. Uh, in fact, the board would be able to call a public hearing if need be to collect further uh, feedback and commentary on that issue. The public comment period came at the beginning of the meeting before comments on the topic from JMRL director David Plunkett. The topic came up at the last trustee meeting in May, when Myra Anderson asked for the change because Thomas Jefferson and James Madison owned people as enslaved workers. We'll hear from Anderson again in a minute. The first speaker identified himself as Nicholas Cabrera and said he was a rising senior at the University of Virginia, as well as president of the school's chapter of Young Americans for Freedom. We lose our future when we burn our past. 
what you all are considering today is a direct burning of our past. Why is this discussion happening? On what basis? Cabrera said the name change would do nothing more than promote a woke agenda and that this would be an example of censorship. The next several speakers sided with this view. Others did not, including Gloria Beard of Charlottesville. It's time for change for all people. And I hope y'all consider what we are trying to bring across to you. It's time to change so all people feel that this community, this world, is for everybody. Others felt Jefferson and Madison's legacy was too important not to honor. Anne McLean is from Richmond. Without Jefferson, we would not have the freedoms we have. So that is just so important for people to research, come to libraries that are full of books. Yes, he loved books. McLean said the Declaration of Independence was more important than the works of Shakespeare, the Magna Carta, and the writings of Cicero. Without the principles set forth in the Declaration of Independence, we would have no rights and no liberties and be completely at the mercy of the government, which we do not want to be. Myra Anderson described herself as the president of the Reclaimed Roots Descendants Alliance and a descendant of enslaved laborers. Six of my ancestors were sold on the auction block in 1829 at the second estate sale of Thomas Jefferson. At the time that the Declaration of Independence was written and it was declared that all men are created equal, my sixth great-grandfather and grandmother were enslaved at that time at Monticello. Anderson said libraries should be inclusive spaces and the name should change to reflect the updated values of the system. She said to her, the name Jefferson does not conjure up greatness. It represents the trauma, the oppression, the pain, and the part of Jefferson that most white people want to gloss over when they're talking about his greatness. But unfortunately, that's the part that put black people on a trajectory of struggle. Anderson said the precedent for such a change was set locally when the health district dropped Jefferson's name last year. After the public comment period was over, Plunkett gave his report on how the name is currently codified and how it might be changed. He said state law for regional library boards deals with how trustees are appointed and the rules for spending money, not about name changes. Plunkett said the current name has informally been in place since 1972, when the regional system was created to pool resources across a wider area. The big reason, though, that Charles Hill, Albemarle, Green, Louisa, and Nelson joined forces to create JMRL was because of state aid funding, uh, which was amplified in the 70s. Basically, the state incentivized uh, localities to get together and share their resources in order to provide library service. The original agreement from 1972 did not yet include Greene County, and Plunkett said it was originally called the Thomas Jefferson Regional Library. <laughs> the library board heard comment from a library board member who uh, made a plea to them to change the name from the Thomas Jefferson Regional Library to the Jefferson Madison Regional Library. Plunkett said that board member wanted to recognize the special friendship between Madison and Jefferson. He noted that Madison did not live in the service area now operated by JMRL. Greene County joined in 1974, and the name was officially changed in an amended agreement. Plunkett said he sought legal advice about who gets to change the name. The legal counsel that the library board has received is that the authority for changing the library name rests with member jurisdictions, with Charlottesville, Albemarle, Greene, Louisa, and Nelson. 
Plunkett said the agreement is overdue for its mandatory five-year review, and a five-member committee appointed by each jurisdiction should be beginning that work soon, and maybe they could consider a new name as part of that process. If there were changes made to the regional agreement at that point, they would need to take them back to their boards of supervisors or city councils to vote on before that could come back uh, as a, an amended regional agreement. Plunkett said the Blue Ridge Health District did not have to ask for permission to make a change, and it was made administratively. He also said that Albemarle County Public Schools has a policy in place regarding the review of school names, as does the University of Virginia with their Namings and Memorials Committee. During the board discussion, trustee Lisa Woolfolk of Charlottesville noted the library was not named to honor the two former presidents, but their friendship. It wasn't about, oh, look what they did for the Bill of Rights and the Declaration and et cetera. It was, these guys were friends. Woolfolk noted that Charlottesville's Unitarian Church recently dropped Jefferson's name from its official title. I really do believe that we are in a moment where our democracy is being challenged in a variety of ways. Um, And I feel as though we have the opportunity to have to make some true progress to reflect some of the growth that Charlottesville has made. One of Albemarle's trustees, Michael Powers, said at issue is that different people have different views of what the primary legacy of Jefferson is. I think it's clear to me that many people primarily associate Jefferson and Madison with their practice of slavery. Uh, But it's also clear that whatever the origin of the name was at the time, over the last 50 years, many people have come also primarily to associate these figures with powerful and fundamental American principles and ideals. Powers said the JMRL board has to take both considerations into account, and he spent some time defending how others have sought to defend Jefferson's legacy. He cited the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution as the main legal tool used in the civil rights movement. So we hear in the 14th Amendment, equal protection, life, liberty. They're very familiar echoes of Jefferson's all men are created equal and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. JMRL Chair Thomas Unsworth said that while the JMRL can't directly change the name, they can make recommendations or suggestions to local officials as part of the agreement review. Woolfork was clear that she feels the name must change, and she resisted framing the issue as one of two equal sides. And it seems to me that that true energy of what a library does and brings and provides should be robust enough and and substantial enough that we can serve our service areas, we can provide the things we continue to provide and not being called Jefferson Madison will not impede our ability to do that. The trustee from Louisa County pointed out that two of the five localities have already voted on resolutions opposing a name change. Neither resolution in either Green or Louisa specified any further action. The trustee from Nelson County said she was concerned about those resolutions. Here's Alita Childs. They put that out before... uh even hearing what 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 uh, what the other people in the area are, are thinking. The board had a long discussion of the matter and in the end opted to pick up the conversation at its next meeting in July. By then, Tony Townsend of Albemarle will be the chair. 
my agenda here is to make sure that this, the area's most inclusive, diverse, and free community resource doesn't get sidetracked or handicapped by this discussion. I think this is a good discussion. I think it needs to happen. I think we can probably come up with a plan that will allow everybody to at least have input. Wolfolk said she wanted to know if Louisa and Greed would leave the regional system as a result. Is it that, are they that committed to, or to their adoration of Jefferson and Madison that they will just say, we don't want to have a library with y'all anymore. Thanks, nice knowing. More on this topic over the months to come. The next meeting of the JMRL Board of Trustees is July 25th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, have you been thinking of converting your fossil fuel appliances and furnaces into something that will help the community reduce its greenhouse gas emissions? Your local energy nonprofit, LEAP, has launched a new program to guide you through the steps toward electrifying your home. Thermalize Virginia will help you understand electrification and connect you with vetted contractors to get the work done and help you find any rebates or discounts. Visit thermalizeva.org to learn more and to sign up. One more segment today in this very long installment of the program. Today, the board of directors for the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority will meet to select an alignment for a five-mile pipeline that the organization says is necessary to help secure drinking water infrastructure. Last week, Charlottesville City Council got a briefing on the project. Bill Moyer is the executive director of the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority. So we call it the Central Waterline Project because it is uh, it was recommended to be located in the central portion of the city to provide the greatest water benefit to our regional water supply system. Moyer said planning dates back to a drought in 2002 that led to a long discussion about how to expand the community water supply plan. That involved expansion of the Ragged Mountain Reservoir by building a new earthen dam, as well as an upgrade of the Observatory Water Treatment Plant. This central water line is to transfer water to a location in Pantops for distribution throughout the entire urban system. We realized uh, later, it was not part of the original community water supply plan, that we need to have a large pipe coming away from the observatory treatment plant so that we can distribute that water through all parts of the city and the county, the urban water area, as we call it. The current cost share is a 52 to 48 percent split, with the Albemarle County Service Authority picking up the larger share. Various versions of this pipeline have been considered in the past to increase capacity, and a report released last year called the Urban Finished Water Master Plan recommended this central pipe through the city. If we expand the water treatment plant and we replace uh, the raw water line to get it to the treatment plant, it has no benefit if we can't really get that water out into the system. Moyer said the work would be done in segments of several hundred feet at a time, with most of the work under city streets. Uh, we expect the schedule to be from 2024 through 2028. Moyer said the RWSA has presented to six neighborhood associations along the route and mailed out information to every parcel along the way. 
He said that led to another revisitation of the five alignments, as well as consideration of other alternatives that had been examined. One of the potential alignments would have used the Route 250 bypass, that that would have taken about eight years of construction. Work on the bypass was going to be quite a challenge that likely would be, have to be completed at night due to the impacts on traffic. Other alignments included Preston Avenue, West Main, and along Harris Street and 5th Street Extended. Moyer said the latter got further attention during the neighborhood meeting phase. Now, when we had our neighborhood meetings, they said, well, what about going down to down Harris all the way to 5th Street and come up 5th Street? So we took a careful look at that. We found that uh, there were two disadvantages. One, it was going to be about $8 million more expensive because it's a longer route, much longer route. Moyer also said 5th Street carries heavy traffic, including emergency vehicles. Another potential alternative was to go underneath Shamrock Road, which would have been shorter and cheaper, but other problems were identified. But Shamrock is such a narrow street, no shoulder on one side, with on-street parking, very congested. You have the railroad track and the vertical curve leading up to that. The Cherry Avenue alignment was deemed to have the least amount of traffic and to take the least amount of time to complete. We think this, the Southern Cherry Avenue, when all things are considered, provides the greatest benefit uh, and opportunity for us. We recognize that there will be uh, impacts along the way. The RWSA's chief engineer said she ran models on all of the various ways to connect the water line. The, the connectivity that we get from the Southern Loop, the ties, excuse me, the Central Water Line that ties in all of these mains and, and prevent, provides this main corridor that goes east-west um, through, the, through the city uh, in, a, in a relatively straight line, um, really did provide the greatest hydraulic benefits overall to the system under the most number of conditions. City Councilor Michael Payne acknowledged he is not an engineer, but he said he had concerns about the preferred alternative along Cherry Avenue, in part because he felt RWSA's assessment of impact to neighborhoods had been subjective. Is that really the best route in terms of objective criteria and how much that decision has been influenced by subjective criteria? Payne said the northern route along Preston and through the rugby neighborhood would be cheaper with a price tag of $28 million. That alternative would also require moving ahead with an $11 million upgrade of the Emmett Street water main that was not otherwise required until the 2030s. Raises my eyebrow that a project that, at least on my understanding, while adding some redundancy to the whole system is primarily benefiting the Pantops, um, area in the northern area of the city and county is being routed through the southern part of the city, particularly public housing and low-income communities. City Councilor Brian Pinkston has been on the RWSA Board of Directors since January. He supported the Cherry Avenue route and said it would have benefits for the southern portion of the city. One of the extra benefits of doing it this way is that you get um, larger transmission lines on the southern side of the city. So, you know, that's not something that's been brought up tonight, but it's an, it's an important reason that I think this is the most reasonable route. Pinkston also noted that much of the opposition is based on an idea that somehow all of this would be done for the sole benefit of people in Albemarle County's growth area. 
I don't know why it's a problem that we'd want to help people in the county, but particularly when they're paying 52% of it. Council did not take a vote on how to direct Pinkston and the city's two other RWSA members. That meeting is coming up very soon, and I hope to have coverage in a future edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. But that's it for this 401st edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a much longer version one than I was expecting to do today, but there were two big things that I wanted to document. Plus, I did want to get the thing in there from the actual interview with James Fries. Being back in person sometimes is kind of cool, but uh, I try to be as efficient as possible, recording as much as I can to bring you as much information as often as possible. This is all paid for by listeners and readers. Most people are reading this, but if you're listening, you just got to hear some really good voices of people. Um, and I think it's really important uh, to continue doing this as a podcast form as well as the written version. But if you are listening to this and you have not contributed yet, you could potentially do that today. And that would be great because it would allow me to bill Substack for that initial payment. Got two more days in this month until the end of fiscal year 2022. I've got my house completely decked out for the big celebration on Thursday night as FY22 becomes FY23. And that might not necessarily be true, but of course it would be fun to do and I have time if I want to do that. But I don't have time to keep going on and on and on because it is time to get on to the next installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for this one is over. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>